Hi, and welcome to another Sanctioned Citizen podcast episode with your hostess, Tempest Del Fuego. Um, I'm not going to spend much time on COVID-19 policy or vaccination mandates or vaccination passports because I think that this is cybersecurity week for a lot of people. The RSA conferences this week, and we just had a massive... Uh, glaring overt breach, although these these ransomware attacks have been going on concurrently for years. They get very little press. They get some. And the people who are impacted certainly feel it in the pocketbook. But uh, our our national security apparatus isn't really too worried about it. And that's always been kind of suspect to me. And they put a lot of heavy conditions on and threats on the American people, people who used to work for them, veterans, you know, family members who, who were associated with national security, but they don't go after people who are really threats right now. In fact, they're diverting with distraction, like, oh, look at the aliens! You know, they're a really big threat! And they just haven't been very forthcoming about aliens in the past, so all of a sudden they're going to use them as a giant distraction. Um, no, no, cybersecurity is really important, and it really kind of goes to the problem of of sanctions, yes, and how the lines are all blurry because of global commerce. So let's just get to it. This is this is the way you concentrate on your threat scope, and I'm just going to go there. So cyber and information security can be a really confusing maze for most people. And there are a ton of smart people who are constantly talking down to people who aren't computer science engineers with 7C level certifications in information security. So here's what I'm going to speak to you about today. Who is going to help you meet your security goals? And that means the scope of your immediate concern, your house, your family, your office, your car, places where you go, your bank account, your health care system. Those are all things that impact you and belong to you and are yours. And they've got your stuff. They've got your information. So for your security to be effective in the short term and long term, like most other things, you have to concentrate on the people and systems that deliver and that are going to help you achieve those goals. That means that there will be well-meaning friends and well-wishers with bad or ineffective advice. And then there's people who want to steer you away from the self-defense because they have some other agenda. So in those cases, you need to exercise a conscious moment of notice, five or ten seconds of awareness and you can pare down the noise with one question. Is this action, person, situation going to help me meet my security goals? If the answer is no, you can eliminate the noise and confusion and pull away from those draining elements and put your energy on things that will give you integral self-defense and personal protection. So you have to just focus on what protects you and your stuff. So I know that listening to people makes people feel important. And trust me, I respect the privilege that you may be listening to me right now. 
However, you always get to choose what really matters. So that's why I can say with complete confidence, there are a ton of information and cybersecurity advisors who do not care about your threat scope and how your network is impacted by threats that threaten you. And I think that's a shame because their need to look and sound important has actually superseded an opportunity to actually be important. So it's commonly known and true that the threat scope for, say, a nuclear facility is not going to be the most appropriate way to uh, secure a retail market outlet in Indiana. So there's a variety of software programs and information security and privacy policy consultants to address a broad range of pressurized, what I call barometric threats that impact your life. Um, but I'm not going to talk about those granular aspects today. Um, it's cybersecurity that I'm going to go for, which is the government domain and the defense domain that impacts you as well. What the government does and how it administrates policy towards your information security has been a real problem. And they are both the problem and the solution at the same time. So let me just move ahead. Some of these things are harder to say than you would think. So we're going to have to talk about the U.S. Department of Defense and their perception of how important they are to national cybersecurity. So heads up, it's going to sound like a lecture, maybe an opening argument before a policy work group hearing, something like that. So the Pentagon, the NSA, the ODNI agency tree should, should probably consider, reconsider the threat scope of their range of immediate concern because foreign enemies are hitting the target in the United States homestead. That's happening. It's been happening. They need to just acknowledge it. There's some failure there. So it's not just ransomware. It's medical research theft and scaled coercion campaigns against U.S. business infrastructure, news outlets, any area of influence on the American public using American corporations in partnership with rival governments because they insist on farming Russia and Asia for ComSec and computer engineering talent, uh, microchips, parts, supplies, and global business exchanges. This is the chocolate messed up and muddled up with the peanut butter. And uh, one of the critical problems we currently face as Americans trying to defend ourselves is our defense industrial complex decades-old reactive policy posture against people in situations that are not threats to appear ready for defense, and then covering up in complete lapses of defense efficacy and moral decorum law based on secrecy policies. These are over-siloed, over-validated secrecy and security-related processes that shear off otherwise qualified and useful candidates, programs, policies at the external rings of this threat scope, threat scope sorry, so that practical defense is impossible or completely unreachable due to 
bureaucratic morass. So these processes should rank as insider threats from an outdated neoconservative era silence secrecy from the 2000s. So I, I think it's really unuseful and helpful. They should probably reassess that. So it's illegal for the Department of Defense to surveil the American public normally. Uh, however, during the events of a national emergency and other broad-based continuity of government issues, they will reach for private enterprise to spy on the American people. The law gets unenforced, normally, and sometimes the law gets very hazy when the American public is under the extended rule of national emergency, i.e. COVID-19. So national emergency rules are routinely abused to spy on political enemies and for other unprofessional matters like uh, love int. And love int is where you've got contractors and NSA operators who check on their ex-girlfriends or spy on their daughter's boyfriend or something. So this is part of the reason the federal government has had a tough time getting recruits. The government has acquired a decades-long reputation for doing more damage to the internal security of the American people, their privacy, and their personal security than any foreign actor due to incompetence and political caprice. So, according to a 2019 Williams-Mullen brief, of U.S. sanctions policy germane to this program, it quotes, one, overview of the U.S. sanctions laws. U.S. sanctions laws are a complex web of legal requirements designed to achieve the foreign policy goals of the United States. They are administrated by the Office of Foreign Assets Control, OPEC, within the U.S. Department of Treasury in Washington, D.C., in conjunction with the State Department and other U.S. agencies. Sanctions are typically initiated by the president issuing an executive order declaring a national emergency under the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, IEEPA, the National Emergencies Act, or similar authority, and designating parties who will be the target of the sanctions. There are <coughs> sorry, there are currently 30 separate sanctions programs administered by the OFAC. A list of current sanctions programs is set forth in Exhibit A in the document pasted below your paragraph here. And examples of sanctions requirements are set forth in Exhibit B. Certain of those sanction programs are focused on individual countries, the countries-based programs, and others target specific activities such as terrorist and proliferation activities, the list-based programs. So there are list-based programs based on proliferation activities, which can have a rather broad, appropriate use. Quote, the U.S. sanctions laws can apply to foreign parties in a number of ways, if foreign companies have certain requisite contacts with the U.S. under section, secondary sanctions and for providing material support and assistance to certain parties that have been targeted for sanctions, 
In addition, foreign persons and entities can be individually designated for sanctions and placed on a U.S. list of specially designated nationals and blocked persons or other restricted party lists. Other restricted party lists. Problems can come out of nowhere, such as when Huawei Technologies CFO Meng Wanshu was recently arrested in, in a Canadian airport lounge for her extradition to the U.S. for U.S. sanctions violations. Example. So it's possible that the United States could say to a foreign business, do what we want, spy on who we want, or sanctions. It's, it's plausible. It is plausible. So during a period of protracted national emergency, a list-based program may emerge administrated by the executive branch. For instance, Vice President Kamala Harris has manufactured such a list this week aimed at U.S. and foreign press outlets qualifying negative or critical press coverage. This impacts Reuters, some associated press news bureaus, global press, but also D.C. bureaus with foreign correspondence offices covering the U.S. government as news. So the week following a massive energy pipeline ransomware attack on the eastern seaboard, VP Kamala Harris is using her list-making powers to put dark side hackers on a discovery NSDN list? Nope. Placement of global press members on a cancel list from a supposedly first world nation for press embargoes. So how in the world did I ever arrive at the idea that our government might be nose-led by a group of narcissists and petty tyrants who abuse the office? So I think it's time to, to make a demand that our current you know, threat is not the political loyalties of the American people, but American domestic security needs to focus on actual enemy regimes and developing an offense agenda so the CCP and GRU and FSB won't hurt national interest. Iran won't hurt national interest. Our energy, our banking, medical infrastructure, our mobile phone in infrastructure. So it really, really sucks to know that, that somehow they got in because sometimes the NSA is tribal a paranoid privatized group of hackers given absolute criminal impunity to open up the guts of the global internet. And then they don't clean up their mess. They leave the door open for our enemies, then ransomware, then, you know, insider trading, blah, blah, blah. They graduate, go on to move into the private sector where they coach collaboration with the U.S. government and other governments who pay to capitalize on zero days and make it pay for their clients. It's a different kind of pay to play, but it's super corrupt nonetheless. <sighs> the biggest problem is that your tax dollars went in based on a paper-based mission to defend America's cybersecurity interest and protect the homeland. And what came out of the other end is compromised integral networks and engineered vulnerability holes as exchange capital with the United States government. 
I'm going to go back to the Williams Mullen brief. A. Contacts with the United States. To start, if a non-U.S. company has sufficient level of contacts with the United States, it can become subject to OFAC jurisdiction and the U.S. sanctions laws. Such jurisdiction can arise in a number of ways if a non-U.S. company engages in a transaction involving U.S. persons or U.S. origin products, technology, or services, has a presence in the United States. Transaction can be subject to OFAC jurisdiction. In addition, foreign firms can be found to have contacts with the U.S. even if they only have a limited presence in the United States, or if there are no U.S. persons, products, technologies, or services involved. The question of what constitutes a sufficient nexus to U.S. jurisdiction is an evolving theory of law and is expanding over time <coughs> as new OFAC enforcement cases are announced. So... That includes anywhere in the United States as a sanctions domain. That seems pretty clear to me. It's pretty clear that they can and will jerk around domestic companies with foreign investors as an intelligence source. So I'll explain it again. The government pays penetration contractors to probe your private ISPs and say whatever cable-based or mobile service network you might be paying for. They get a guy to find the holes inside, say, Facebook's social media site. Facebook says, how much do you want for access to this information? And then the U.S. government conducts an information raid. Only they're not the only nation states who get to do this sometimes. If the government can do it quasi-legally under emergency law and no one in the Congress or U.S. court system provides a contest to national security law because of the liquid limits they have with the U.S. Defense Department, we have a real problem of criminal hacking impunity as public policy, where the American people are deliberately undefended for profit and power. The national emergency powers have been stretched out of bounds to where the, the practical cyber defense of the American people is unrecognizable to expansionist data grabbers like Mike Rogers at the NSA. And it keeps happening because this is the business process that started before Ed Snowden. Lots of people employed by the government know about it. They don't agree with it, but they get up, go to work, and shovel the crap five days a week for pay, suffering in silence because NATSEC employees do not enjoy personal freedom like the rest of Americans. They sign NDAs, and their lives are routinely tossed around by insecure cover-your-ass task forces covering for the U.S. gangster complex. But that's another subject for another time. I fully expect Biden, or had I had expectations ahead of his election, that this national emergency environment and his history of listening to the bad advice of technocratic Democrats would lead directly to more compromise of public security and privacy of the American people, more cybersecurity incidents, strategic takedowns, mass information harms to the American people, because that's exactly what happened last time under Obama, and we all now know why. Biden and congressional members have a real opportunity right now 
He and his round table of uh, policymakers can revoke national security powers, certain ones granted to the NSA, DNI, and DOD when it comes to really unlawfully probing and surveilling the American people for curiosity, you know, without, without a scope. Because national security makes it nearly unlimited. So they're so fond of rules and rulemaking ability in the Democratic Party. Administrative stretching. You know, do this because I say so, because I'm in charge, because you elected me versus it's the law. So if they're so fond of those rules and rulemaking, they should just go make some rules right now that tailor the ability of these three letters to go after Joe Normal. Go change the rules right now, executive branch, to defend the United States instead of go spy on your political enemy. And that's something you can ask the commander-in-chief to do because that's all the power you gave him. So the courts also have a role, as far as they can see. If the scope of the executive bureau powers exceeds the limits of the U U.S. constitutional protections, if they get out of bounds, if they start defeating American interests from within, you know, the courts have an absolute duty to pry, to cite, and to appropriate case law against, you know, policy developers and agency actors who abuse the office. You know, people who commission to violate the American people on a regular basis. You know, they can start enforcement of the law internally so that the American people and their legitimate interests are protected from advanced foreign intrusion. So the idea is that things got so screwed up and out of range, we're relying on foreign powers to be an intelligence source against the American people sometimes. And when we try to roll that back, or maybe we didn't roll it back at all, it got stopped because the Patriot Act was also stopped. So that... That probably cut off the tab. But then this Emergency Powers Act went into play, and now things are kind of weird again. You know, but the landscape has also changed because China's gotten a lot more aggressive. Our enemies have gotten a lot more aggressive. They got used to mining and getting into a trade of information for pay. And once that stopped, it felt like a sanction but it wasn't a sanction. It was just us trying to administrate the law better for our own citizens. <clears throat> but it felt that way because they weren't getting the money. The simple, simplified version of this is to direct the DOD to protect the United States, not the optics at their agency, not the people and the generals in the backroom interagency deals managing information capital with the CIA and the DNI people. You know, these are the ones who are dedicated to protecting themselves and their relevance. Uh, they don't really belong in government anymore because they they forgot to serve the people. They will stand on a rooftop and tell you why they're important, but they're not serving. <laughs> and they're probing 
Joe Normal, they're not serving. <laughs> I just wanted to say quickly, the people, the United States people, the people that pay the taxes, etc., those people, the people, have a mandate for any office underneath the executive branch, and that is to respect their Sixth and Fourth Amendment rights as constitutional mandates. That's that's the mandate. Respect my right to be secure in my papers and effects and to know what I am accused of if I stand accused in any court or any process that's in a contest or conflict with the U.S. government. Okay? The people should seek injunctive relief from all secret mass surveillance programs initiated without a proactive article of common law as consent. They should seek an act of Congress or the U.S. court system for those programs, and if they don't get the consent of the people that way, then those programs shall be abolished, dismantled, unfunded. And so... For the case of, say, using the U.S. Postal Service, you know, to drop a letter in the mail, that's not an act of consent towards their governance or that agency for U.S. spying in a massive tree of Clearview AI and and uh, related online uh, tree of social media. That's just not any kind of consent. Is national security being abused probably emergency powers yep yeah most certainly so i urge you if you are in the range of this voice to write a physical letter to your u.s congressional representatives seeking an injunction from a federal court against mass surveillance of any of your records during a national emergency denying any claim of consent by any federal agency during the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic. I say this so that you will be able to do something for yourself. So thank you for listening to this Cybersecurity Scope Reset podcast. I have been your honorable hostess, Tepesto Fuego.